0: Thank you for being here today. I hope you've had a great break. For those that have been on spring break, we continue to pray for those traveling home and uh, for those college basketball fans. For some of us, it was a very good weekend. For others, it was more challenged, but um, nonetheless, the tournament continues. Go Tar Heels. Okay, Genesis Fact or Fiction is our series. This stuff really makes a difference because it impacts how we live our lives It impacts how we have relationships and the understanding of where we are as a world. You know, we're going to continue to pray for the conflict in Ukraine and and surrounding areas. We're going to continue to pray for those that have faced challenging seasons and times of loss uh, and our our church family and our school family. We've had some really... Uh, significant challenges of loss, but we're going to continue to praise God because of all of the incredible things he's done. This Wednesday night, we have an opportunity. I've been praying for this for over two years because of the incredibly fast level of growth that we as a church and a school are experiencing, even far beyond our pre-COVID numbers. There are very few churches that can say that, but in every metric, in every way that you can measure a church, it's all going up rapidly for us. And the Lord's opened a door of opportunity for us this Wednesday night at 7.30 right here in this room. I'm gonna tell you about that. We're gonna have a congregational vote on some land acquisition that is contiguous to our property. You know, the Lord is making all things new, but he's not making more earth, more ground. And so whenever it becomes available and it's close or particularly connected, we ought to jump on it. And the Lord has provided. So I'll tell you about it more on Wednesday. But there's a lot to be learning together. We're going to learn this verse. If you don't already have it memorized, surely by today you'll have it. Let me tell you what's coming. We've been in Genesis the whole year thus far. So for the next several weeks, I'm going to be backing out, doing some one-off messages. In fact, I'm really prayerfully considering one of my favorite passages in the book of Revelation to preach next week. I'm thinking about that. I have not done it here. I've been holding it for the last three years, wanting to share it, but waiting for the right time. And then I'll give you a couple of special messages leading up to and into Easter. Um, So we're going to take a break between chapters two and three and then pick back up so that we can get back in the New Testament for a while. But we will be back in Genesis, of course, because things are going to be heating up quickly from chapter three on. But I do want you to know we'll be taking a break, but we're learning this particular verse out of chapter two together, and it's important for what we're studying today. So let's say it a couple of times, okay, and then we'll throw a whole bunch of blanks in there. Let's say it with me. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him, good, or suitable to him. All right, let's look at it. Make sure you got it. You ready? And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Good. You've got it now. And so we're learning that truth. We've been talking about this idea of marriage made in paradise. Last week I said that God designed marriage for our good. And when I say man's, I'm using the generic. So when I say God designed marriage for man's good, that's the good of mankind. We see that God said everything is good except the loneliness of man, man being alone. Not that he was missing something because he had the Lord there, but the fact that he was alone and none of the animals corresponded to him. God was setting the stage for the creation of woman and she is this beautiful helper to man. Remember the word helper is not lesser than or derogatory. The word helper is used of the Lord many times in the Bible and it describes function rather than worth. We talked about the shovel and the rake. If you weren't here, I know it was bitterly cold and there was some leftover stuff on the ground last week. So if you weren't here, go back and check out that message. We compared the shovel and the rake. And I said to the unmarried among us that God does not um, somehow punish you for not giving you a spouse, that, that singleness is in fact a gift and a spouse doesn't complete you, only Christ completes you. A spouse will compliment you, right? They will add to you, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, I had a misspelling on that slide. And so we fix that. They complement you. They they are there to, uh, as we say, we're not egalitarians, we're complementarians. And so her strengths fill in all my weaknesses and so forth. Cindy and I showed you with some arrows how important it is to grow together as we grow to the Lord and we grow closer. And that marriage is not 50 50. Marriage is 100 100. I'm giving 100%. She's giving 100%. And then even in. Even in health or in sickness, I'm still able to give my part. She's able to give her part. And so God designed marriage for man's good. But we're also going to learn something else about it. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let me read again verses 18 to 25. Again, we'll take a break for a few weeks. And then we'll, uh, we'll come back and start chapter three. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. We've all got that now. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. We went over that last week. It didn't take him that long. We only understand what the Bible's saying. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and every beast of the field, but... For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made, built, fashioned into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Or in the Hebrews, she'll be called Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. So the words are related as they are in English. Therefore, this is super important for today, this verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they or the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I. I just adore this section of the creation narrative. It tells us how things came to be the way they are. As you are zooming in on the narrative of creation from chapter one, that he made them male and female according to your image and according to your likeness. As you zoom in now on this truth, I pray that we would see the beauty of marriage made in paradise. I pray that for the single ones among us, either not yet married or maybe previously married, God, I pray that you would still speak words of truth and affirmation into their heart. I pray, God, for those who are here today hurting, facing a burden, facing something that's weighing heavily on them, whether it's related to their marital relationship or not. I pray, oh God, for truth and comfort to just spring forth from the pages of your Word and from the Spirit of God in us and all around us. And I pray for those who are tuned in, Lord, right now, wherever they may be, or some that will be watching or listening later. We know to those many out there who feel lonely, who feel separated, God, help them to see that it is Christ that completes them, Christ who fulfills all in all. And God, I'm praying today that you would teach us by your word and your spirit for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. So we said God designed marriage for man's good, right? But the second truth, of course, is that God defined marriage for his glory. He not only designed it, he defined it. Now, I just brushed against this last week but we need to understand that that God defined and designed marriage for his glory and our good. Let me see if I can illustrate. Now, what I was initially going to do was bring a a piece of hunting equipment and I left it at home. And so I had to scrounge through my items in the office and I'll just admit to you, I had to find something to make it work, but I found something pretty cool. Uh, Any of my outdoorsmen and women know in a couple of weeks, we have a new season starting. What is that season? Yes, turkey season, right? And so I love turkey season because turkey season is a time of call and response and trying to fool the old gobblers and bring them in and and plus the fact that they're not only beautiful, they're delicious, right? So you can see things pleasant to the eyes that are also uh, delicious like the trees of the garden. And so I was going to bring some calls in and show you their design, but I've done some of that before. So I went back into my stash of illustrations and I found this and I had to look at it for a minute to remember what it was. But this was something I got some years ago for VBS. There was a VBS, I think it was put out by Lifeway. Yeah, it was. Um, It's a long time ago, because the date stamped on this is 2008. Does anybody know what I'm holding in my hand? Yeah, if you've seen these before, it's a train whistle. And so let's, I don't know how this is gonna work with my mic, but let's see if you can hear it. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, I know you want one. Don't covet, that's in the Bible. Okay, so it's pretty cool though, you know, I mean, that is so neat how that's been made. I would say whittled, but this is probably made on a machine of some sort. But what is so cool about this is the design. Now You could certainly do other things with it, right? You could have it as a door prop, I'm sure. You could probably hammer something with it. I don't know. If you wanted to, you could probably whittle something else, but it's pretty well hollow. And then it's got these four chambers where the air's passing over it. And this was for a VBS that had to do with trains or something, I guess, a long time ago. But what's really cool is the people that made this, I'm sure it says made in China somewhere on it, but the people that that made this made it for a purpose. It was designed for a purpose, and like I was gonna show you with the calls, this whistle could do other things. Of course, it could do other things, but it was designed and defined for this purpose. It even says on the side here, Boomerang Express. It even says, thats I assume that was the name of the VBS. Do you remember Boomerang Express? Well, there you go. My wife said so, so it is. Boomerang Express, so that was the VBS. The thing is, though, you can take this and do other things with it. Again though, like raking with a shovel or digging a hole with the rake, you would be outside of the intended design of the maker. And so what I want to say to you here, this is point A on your outlines if you're coming back and filling this in. There is never a case where it is acceptable to redefine marriage. Again, if you were not here last week, regardless of what five individuals said in 2015, they do not get to redefine marriage for an entire nation. They can change law, but they can't change the law of God. They can't change the word of God. And so God designed marriage and God defined marriage to be between one man and one woman. When God saw that Adam was alone, of course, he did not create another man. He just didn't do it. God created someone like Adam in dignity, value and worth with the same parts and pieces, but God built, formed, fashioned her, knit her differently from man for a reason. Let's go ahead and address the issue of polygamy as well. Did you realize that like slavery in the Bible, it is never commended, it is never praised. It is acknowledged, it is acknowledged as a cultural reality but it is never commended. It was never God's intention. In fact, case after case after case, we see that issues of polygamy cause hardship and heartache. We don't see polygamy in the beautiful marital love song of the Song of Solomon, or sometimes called the Song of Songs. We do not see polygamy there. Mark Twain was lecturing in Utah. A Mormon acquaintance argued with him on the subject of polygamy. You may know this, but fundamentalist Mormons still today believe in polygamy, polygamous marriages. It's always interesting, though, that it's only for the benefit of the man, never the woman. Ladies, I don't know why that is Then, a horrible patriarchal system, but it's never for the benefit of the woman. But after a long and rather heated debate, the Mormon finally said to Mr. Twain, can you find for me one single passage of scripture which forbids polygamy? Certainly, Mark Twain replied, no man can serve two masters. <laughs> that's pretty good. A little bit out of its context, but that's pretty good. When we get to the New Testament though, we we see that marriage is clearly defined as one man and one woman. Now listen, our culture, media, actors, actresses, athletes, even politicians can attempt to redefine marriage as they are attempting to redefine gender. But it wasn't designed by them, so it cannot be redefined by them. The designer gets to provide the definition. And what God has clearly designed and what God has clearly defined, we as his people must be ready to defend. What is making me saddened and sickened is that pastors all across our land are now becoming silent and quiet and saying things like, well, God merely whispers about such things. God is not whispering about marriage. It is a man and a woman. And that is not to say that people don't feel strong urges toward marriage outside of God's bounds, but it is not the way God defines it nor designed it. Numerous problems exist with marriage outside of God's design. And please do not watch television shows and things that attempt to redefine marriage and redefine the family. Uh, So God indicates a reasoned conclusion in light of Adam's joy at finding a mate. He talks about leaving and cleaving. And I'm going to try to unpack this over the next few minutes if I could. Uh, to, to, cleave means to join, to be connected to, and I'll show you that in a moment, but he says, let a, let a man leave or forsake his father and mother in order to cleave unto his wife, in order that the two may become one flesh. In other words, if we don't leave, we cannot cleave. I remember doing marriage counseling with a couple that had been married over 15 years. And the reality was the man couldn't cut the apron apron strings and his mother still ruled his life. And because his mother still ruled his life and his wife didn't have a proper place in the family, in the new family unit, they never could seem to get past it. Sadly, they ended up divorcing some years ago. And it really broke my heart. But here's the thing. There were three sons in the family. All of them had been through multiple marriages and the mother or mother-in-law had been heavily involved in all of them because there was never a willingness to leave and without the willingness to leave, there cannot be the possibility to cleave or to join. Now, it's interesting here that Adam uh, that Adam makes this declaration, okay, she's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, but then the narration comes back, therefore, because we're compatible, therefore, a man shall leave father and mother. Adam didn't have natural father and mother is you and I, so this is clearly for our benefit, it's not just for Adam, it's for us, that they they shall leave father and mother, be joined, cling to the wife, and the two should become one flesh. See, God is teaching us in Genesis 2.24 that marriage is a covenant simply by using covenant terminology. All through that verse, there are words that have to do with the covenant. There are words in there that talk about Israel leaving God. And at times, Israel coming back and joining to or cleaving to God. These are covenant ideas. This passage is applied by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 and following Jesus said have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so then they are no longer two but one flesh now Jesus went to add something here and you've heard it in marriage ceremonies your whole life therefore what God hath joined together Let no man put asunder. Now, we don't use that language much anymore. But what he says is, what God has united, let no man separate. That's what the language means. What God has brought together, let no man pull apart. See, the creation of Adam and Eve teaches us much about the marriage relationship. Marriage is instituted by God, not by man. So God gets to define and design it. Marriage was and is to be monogamous. God gave Adam only one wife. Yes, it went to pot in a hurry, but God gave Adam one wife. Marriage is to be heterosexual. Homosexuality does not have a case in light of biblical revelation, either Old or New Testament. The husband and wife are to be united physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now I'm gonna say something, and probably about to offend some of you. Take it for what it is. I'm not aiming at your toes, I'm aiming at your heart. The marriage bond is to be even stronger than that between a parent and a child. For a man forsakes mother and father and sticks, is glued to his wife. That is an astounding declaration in a world where filial duty, meaning child taking care of parents, was a most sacred obligation next to the obligation of God. Remember, this is written down thousands of years after it happened through the pen of Moses. By the time you had the Hebraic culture under Moses, the second greatest obligation at that time was for children to take care of aging parents. It's still that way in some cultures around the world. And while the reality is that we are to provide for our own, in fact, if we don't provide for our own household, especially our our personal household, so our wives, our children, et cetera, we've denied the faith. We're worse than an unbeliever, 1 Timothy 5.8. But let me say this very clearly now. Our children are given to us for a period of time. The parent-child relationship is in some ways, don't throw rocks, temporary. Now, listen, my kids will always be my kids. My babies will always be my babies, as yours will. So I don't mean I'll ever cease to be their father or they'll ever cease to be my children. But what I'm saying is when they're grown and gone, Cindy is still my wife. What we've done in our culture is we have put children in the center of our families and everything has so revolved around our children that when our children are old and grown grown and gone, I know that maybe be stretched these days. Sometimes they stay longer than we want them to stay, right? And not mine, I love mine. I hope they stay for at least another year or two. But They're they're grown and gone, but what happens is because we've not made investments, folks, what happens those first few weeks or months or years when they're not in the house? You know what happens? We look at a stranger across the dinner table. Because the husband and wife relationship has not been emphasized but the mommy and daddy relationship have been emphasized. What we find are very high rates of dissatisfaction and even divorce for early empty nesters. Leaving and cleaving are critical. Prior to them being our children, Cindy was my wife. And you've got to remember this, even if you're in a blended family, the truth still applies to you because you're in a covenant under God. Even if you're in a blended family, the marital relationship is second only to that of you in Christ. And I don't mean to even rank those because I don't like a ranking in that. I think Christ is all in all. He's first in everything. First in the marriage, first in the parenting. But leaving and cleaving, let me give you another word, weaving. I'm gonna ask the ladies to join me on the platform because marriages are not simply comprised of a man and woman who love one another. We're talking about a triangle here. So remember these three terms, leave, cleave, and weave, right? Leave, separate, cleave, be joined to, weave. What God is saying here, because we see that in these verses, we see this relational concept, what we're going to do Uh, Hello, do y'all know who this is? This is Maddie Mercer. This is Pastor Matt's youngest. And this is Madison Hartley. Thank you for helping us. And Miss Maddie's gonna be our model today. And Madison's gonna help me. So I'm gonna turn you this way. How's that working for you? Is that pretty good? And we're gonna show you something that I had to learn as a daddy of three daughters before we had our son. I thought braiding hair was taking this strand and this strand and kind of wrapping them Some of you men, don't look at me like you know better than me. Some of you dudes are out there going, yeah, that's what it is, two strands of hair. Because when you look at a braid, it looks like two strands of hair. But watch how Madison is going to start to braid Maddie's hair. And I did learn this, and even tried it a few times on my girls. Not to great success, but I did learn. So watch what she's doing now. She's got one strand, She's got two strands, she's got three strands. Now watch this, this is fascinating. Men, I am teaching you something very valuable today. If you have daughters or granddaughters, I want you to watch carefully and go home and impress your wife. She might give you extra sugar for fixing your daughter's hair. Don't do it if they're like 16, that's just creepy. But if they're young, Now look at that, now, 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 all right, hold it right there, hold it right there. Now to any person that looks at this, I'm sorry, but it looks like to me, one, two, one, two, one, two. Y'all see what I'm saying? That looks like two pieces of hair. Am I crazy? Two pieces, do a little bit more, but it's clearly not two pieces. It's clearly three pieces. And when you look at my home, it looks like two people but it's not two people, it's three. The Bible says a three-strand cord is not easily broken. Give these girls a hand, beautiful job. I was gonna grow my hair out like that so they could braid mine, but I decided against it just this time. I was afraid you would confuse me with Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so. Leave cleave and weave. Listen to what Catherine Paxton said. This was in a magazine. She said, a braid appears to contain only two strands of hair. But it is impossible to create a braid with only two strands. I wish I had read that a long time ago. If the two could be put together at all, they would quickly unravel. Herein lies the mystery. What looks like two strands requires a third. The third strand, though not immediately evident, keeps the strand tightly woven. Paxton concludes, in Christian marriage, God's presence, like the third strand in a braid, holds husband and wife together. If you're going to try to have a marriage made in paradise without the God who created you and who defined marriage, you're not going to have a marriage that's going to last very long. It's going to eventually unravel. But Bobby, you don't understand my marriage. I'm not happy anymore. I've fallen out of love. Uh-uh, uh-uh, you fall out of trees, you don't fall out of love, you've made a choice. But, but, but it doesn't feel like it did when I fell in love. Uh-uh, you don't fall in love, you fall in a hole. You choose to love. You choose every day to get up in love, even when they're unlovable or you are unlovable. You choose and you keep making the choice Consider what Paul would teach the, the church at Ephesus about the husband and the wife. Husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And, and wives, you are to respect your husband, and you are to bring honor to him. And there is this beautiful symbiotic relationship here. And you think, well, I'm just going to be happier if I get out of this marriage. My Brazilian pastor friend, Dr. Menjis, like to say this. If you're a Christian, how can you be happy doing something God has? hates malachi 2:16. god hates divorce gary thomas wrote a book years ago called sacred marriage cindy and i are going to be teaching a grace university class on it coming up very soon actually a six-week course cindy and i are going to do for for our church and we'll have sign up soon but the subtitle of that book is one of my favorite subtitles of any book it says what if god designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy that's good Aim for happiness, you'll almost always miss holiness. Aim for holiness, God will grant you happiness in time. God will give you what you cannot get for yourself. Marriage is the picture of the gospel. Get back to the basics, make a choice today to rekindle that flame and you say, it's too late. It's already gone, not true. If God lit this flame in your heart the first time he can do it again, If we get closer to the finish line on our mini-series, go back and consider the idea of husband and wife becoming one flesh. I'm not going to be graphic here, of course, with young years in the room, but let's call it like it is. This is most literally a physical or sexual union symbolizing the beginning of the union of souls. It's a spiritual and psychological intertwining of persons we see in Song of Solomon 3-4. And sexual intimacy is an expression of the union of two people. But the sexual union by itself is not sufficient to define the biblical concept of marriage so i'm going to give you three easy words to remember you ready the primary purposes of marital intimacy marital intimacy i didn't say intercourse i said intimacy there are procreation obviously communication this says something one to another and recreation Recreation is an activity done for enjoyment. God gives us this gift of intimacy in marriage to enjoy. You say, how do you know that? I know that because it's all over the Song of Solomon. It's actually through the Proverbs too. You can read about the joy that a man gets and the wife of his youth. You can see that there is an enjoyment there. There's an eros love. Now, eros is where we get the word erotic. That particular word is not in the Bible. But the concept of eros love is is actually very prevalent in the Bible. God is very clear in his word that this type of love, this type of physical intimacy, is forbidden outside of marriage. Don't do it. But in marriage, it is a wonderful gift from God. And you might wanna write the next passage down. You might just rise up and call me blessed if you remember this passage. First Corinthians seven, three to five. You might just wanna write it down or circle it in your notes. First Corinthians seven, three to five. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. As the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come again, well, you know what this language means, come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now... Men, women, don't be using the excuse, not right now, I'm in prayer and fasting. That only works so long. You need to make sure that you are following the commands of the Lord. Come together quickly, lest you're giving place to the devil. Lest you are opening up an opportunity for someone to have wandering eyes and a wandering body. And I want to make sure we understand this. This is 100-100. I do not have authority over my own body, she does, and vice versa. Therefore, it is a 100, a 100. And when we understand that and we care more deeply about the way they feel than the way I feel, what I can give rather than what I can get, it makes a difference in this three-stranded cord called marriage. You know what, I've said something here that doesn't seem very spiritual, but I guarantee you it's spiritual. And the Bible actually speaks about taking set times for things. We schedule things that are important to us. A lot of you guys were gonna be watching a ball game at around six o'clock last night. You just were. You were gonna make sure you watched a ball game. Hunting season is on the horizon. I know exactly when it starts. I know when I can go. I know when it ends because it's important. If you make a nail appointment or a hair appointment, you put it in your calendar or you write it down, what about scheduling time with your husband or your wife? For over 27 years, we've scheduled dates together. And I love my dates as much as anything. We had a few really good ones this week. We had a few really fun things. We went to some places we had never been before. They don't have to be expensive, they can be stay at home. But there's really, quite frankly, nothing else I'd rather do in the world than have a date with my sweet wife. Can I ask you a question? How long has it been since you and your wife have just dated? We're married, man. We don't date anymore. Well, you could fix that. Sacrifice some things in your schedule to spend time with them so that you're not looking across the table at a stranger. And remember, even when he was exhausted, Jesus spent time with people because he loved them. Adam and Eve from creation narrative are showing us something. God brought them together for a specific reason, to be husband and wife. And at the climax of creation, we find that the man and his wife both were naked. It's very appropriate, and there's nothing dirty here. This is absolutely physical nudity. The verse is claiming a total transparency between the first married couple. The nakedness suggests that they were at ease with one another without fear of exploitation or potential for evil. There's no judgment, there's no finger pointing. Such fellowship, of course, now is shattered after the fall. And after sin enters the picture, nakedness takes on a negative sense. So uh, it becomes connected with the sense of vulnerability and shame and exploitation and exposure. Even the idea of uncovering nakedness is a horrible thing that happens when someone is exploited or uh, uncovered in war or captivity. But again, there's good news today. Our openness and our transparency can be restored, at least in part, in the bounds and the bonds of Christian marriage. As a Christian couple feels at ease with one another, this is beautiful and appropriate within its context, within its context. God designed marriage for man's good and God defined marriage for his glory. Two people meet, and in time, grow to love one another. They spend precious time getting to know one another, talking, laughing, sharing their hopes and dreams. They look forward to those dates. When they're apart, of course, they're thinking about each other, wishing they could be together again. And their love seems to grow and it seems to blossom until one day they become husband and wife. And they stand before God and witnesses and say, till death do us part. And at the time, they really believe it and they really mean it. But then there are jobs to go to and appointments to be kept and stresses to deal with and arguments and problems and family feuds and discipline issues with children, financial stressors and all of these things pull on them until the demands become so overwhelming that their love relationship begins to suffer. And then one day they look across the table and they think, that's not the person I married. You're a stranger. I don't know you anymore. And the reality is it's much more likely that their love has been starved. It did not receive the daily nourishment it needed to grow healthy and strong. The reason that I spend time with my wife apart from everyone else And we go out with couples and do group things, of course. We spend time with our children. We got to take Miss Lucy and the crew to the zoo the other day for the very first time. Got to spend the days with the family and family meals, and those are wonderful and I love them. But the reason she and I invest in one another, like if you see us out on a date and you can tell that we're together, I would love for you to say hi. I would love for you to come by and, and, and say hello and maybe even introduce yourself if we don't know you, but don't pull up a chair and hang out. Is that okay? That's okay, right? I love you. But the reason we do that is, listen, listen, watch, watch. I've got this piggy bank. I should have brought a piggy bank. And I'm putting an investment in it. Every time. I'm I'm dropping a coin, a dollar, $100. I'm dropping something in there every time. Because there are days that I'm pretty unlovable. Shocking, I know. There are days of conflict, because in the best of marriages there have to be. Ruth Graham, you remember? She said if two people agree about everything, one of them is not necessary. That was Billy Graham's wife. Of course there are conflicts, of course there are tensions, of course there are stressors. But then I can go back to that bank, and there's something to withdraw even when I feel empty. Even when I feel like I can't go on, oh, there's something there because there's been an investment made. An investment's been made. Regularly, there are investments being made. And so when the time comes, there's always something there to draw from, to take out. But if all you ever do is make withdrawals and never deposit time, energy, and love, and schedule, and I can promise you, I know when I have become inattentive, I know when I need to straighten up. You know why? We share calendars. I have multiple, she has multiple, but we share them. I have full access as she has full access. You know what will pop up on my calendar? Just one word, Cindy. There'll be a Cindy slot that will pop up. And that is a great indicator to me. Okay, Bubba, you need to refocus tonight. You need to rethink your priorities right now because you've not been making enough in the deposit And so I want you guys to remember that marriage is a beautiful gift from the Lord. And you can do whatever it takes today and in the coming days to make your marriage all God wants it to be for his glory and for your good. And if you're single today, trust God and wait for his best. If he designed marriage for you, then he's got that person ready. Again, not just a soulmate because you're not looking for the right person. You're going to be the right person. But a spouse will not complete you. Only Christ completes you. But if you're a married person today, I want you to thank God for this gift and thank him for what we've learned about this marriage made in paradise. Praise God for this covenant that pictures Christ in the church. And let's, as a church, just go ahead and get it on the table. We as a family of faith will always and only affirm marriage between one man, biological man, and one woman biological woman. This is how God made it, and this is the truth upon which we stand. Would you join me by standing? Heavenly Father, I am so grateful to still have the wife of my youth that I can invest in and she can invest in me. We've had a wonderful week together, Lord, uh, taking some time away through spring break and having some incredible shared experiences in the last few days. Not just the fun together, but even being outside sweating and working and getting in the mud together too, Lord. Those are great things too. Serving together, working together, watching our children together, seeing the granddaughter together. Lord, those are things that, It's thrilling to know that we can do life in this way. But God, it still takes effort and investment. And I pray today for every marriage in this room and every marriage that's out there. I pray for your strength. I pray, God, for your health. I pray that as we offer this class in a few weeks after Easter, Lord, that folks would wanna wanna come and and really learn that God designed marriage to, to make us holy even more than happy but he'll give us both if we start in the right place. Lord, I'm grateful for this church family. I'm grateful for what you're doing here. And I pray that in the final minutes we share of this service, that it would be a sweet and holy time, that we would continue to pray for our friends in Ukraine, our partners, Lord, just across the border where we've sent several large gifts now to help them with refugees. I pray that we continue to pray for our church family that's facing tragedy and loss. There are too many for me to stand and name, but God, you know every one of them. Some that have lost even in recent days. Some that are right there on their deathbed at the brink of passing over to you. And God, today I I would like to see if there are couples here that would just be willing to join hands and come to this altar And just spend a few minutes, Lord, as I I hope to get my wife up here too. Just hold hands and pray together. And just say, God, help us to make good investments in our marriage. We're gonna be better parents and better grandparents when we're better husbands and wives, when we focus on giving and not just getting. So I pray there are couples all over this place, maybe married, maybe heading that way. but couples that would come hand in hand heart and heart and pray for their marriages, pray for their homes, pray that they would continue to make investments or begin to make investments. Do what only you can in the final minutes together that we have today in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching us today.